Due to some violent content, parental discretion is advised. I know you're gonna dig this. The Mice Fist hits the bag. One, two, and comes back. Single fist here. You hear that beat? Think outside the box and be your exit on top of them clocking them, sending back to the corner for oxygen. Fist. Golden gloves, I know Fist myself, rolling. I know the game, it's not a game, I know the ring, I want the belt. Finding the rhythm, they hit him, split him and touch him and tip him, hit that six pack, with that kid jack. Hop up at the bro, making him fall down, breaking them all down, switch stands, hit the toe, in the hands, give him some more. You are not Muhammad Ali, anomaly of May, weather, pocket, y'all, prodigy in the midst of this, 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 S2, hot to rock, think out the box, you know I got the rock, speed back. That would be a little So much shit, I done came way too far to be calling it quits. Jake wanna lock me up, even though I'm legit. They can't stand to see a young brother pockets get thin. Hey yo, enough's enough. Federalists try to set me up, put me in cuffs and crush what I lost into dust. Plus, they want a nigga soul, but they know Big Joey crack and never ride a cat that he know for sure. Death before the sun up. I left the streets and known since gone deceased and almost killed his mama. So I'ma keep doing what I'm doing. And it is Wednesday afternoon, evening, night, depending on where you are. This is Maestro, and this is Punchlines. Uh, started off there with a little DITC, Joey Craig, Big L. Uh, you know, <laughs> a few people actually reached out to me. I think they know I'm somewhat of a Fat Joe fan, and they thought it was interesting that Fat Joe essentially admitted something that I think everybody knows about hip hop, which is that a lot of the storytelling is just that storytelling. But uh, before we get into boxing talk, I I'm not sure why this made headlines, but uh, this was the big deal uh, the other day. Um, and I'm talking, of course, about this story here of Fat Joe. Rapping professionally for 30 years, I've lied in almost 95% of my songs. <laughs> Being not lied. I write like I feel that day. Mm -hmm. I'm just being creative. You know, if you, you could probably put, you couldn't build the jail high enough for the lyrics I've said on songs, which are all untrue. What I am is a family man, the person who gives back to my community. There you go. There you go. I won't spend more time on that. So, yeah, uh, it is what it is, but we're not here to talk hip hop. We're not here to talk rap, music, or pop culture. We're here to talk boxing we're here to talk the 140 pound division and uh all that's cooking these days in the division i'm going to talk about ryan garcia's win this past weekend against duarte of course there's a big fight taking place this coming weekend it is of course between devin the dream haney uh he, at one point, was the undisputed champion at 135 pounds. He is moving up to take on the WBC super lightweight champion, Regis Rugaru Progre, at 140 pounds. And it's a very interesting division, guys, for me, because you've got a lot of established fighters in the division, guys that have been mentioned amongst the pound-for-pound -pound elite. You've had shifts in movement in and around the division. So, look, a couple years ago, right, 
the unanimous consensus number one guy was Josh Taylor. He held all the belts. Well, things have changed. But even then, if you guys remember, there was a little bit of controversy because there were people out there who felt that Regis Prograde had beaten him in the World Boxing Super Series and that he kind of had that blemish on his record, even though it was a win. There were people who considered it kind of an asterisk win. I wasn't amongst those people. Um, but regardless, there was that. Uh, it didn't help him at all later on when he had a another controversial win, this time even more controversial, against Jack Catterall in his home country of Scotland. So, you know, he relinquished the belts. The belts were fractured. Now the belts are all over the place. Subriel Matias, he's got the IBF belt. Regis Progre, his former foe, he is the WBC belt, right? We've also got a guy in Rowley who himself had a disputed decision. He's the WBA champion. Of course, you also have Devin Haney moving up, and you have Ryan Garcia moving up from the lower weight divisions. Now, Ryan's last fight prior to the Duarte fight was at a catchweight with the rehydration clause. We've spoken a lot at length about that here on this channel. By the way, hit the like button. If you're new to the channel, hit the subscribe button. I've already shared the video out with some people. I've asked them to hit the like. Do me a favor and hit the like as you join. So here we are. Uh, Ryan Garcia, he had a catchweight fight. He had a rehydration clause fight. He was stopped to the body. Some people thought he quit. Uh against Tank Davis. Uh, I wasn't one of those people. Um, I don't like throwing out the word quit in boxing because when you apply it to other sports, you know, LeBron James gets hit in the head, taken off the court, nobody calls him a quitter, right? Uh, Kevin Durant hurts his knee. Could he potentially play the rest of the basketball game in a lot of pain? He probably could, but, I mean, he gets taken off the court. Nobody calls him a quitter. But in boxing, of course... You're considered a quitter if you have a, an injury or you're hurt and you can't continue. We get it. Anyhow, I digress. The point is, is that he had that catchweight fight. He had that rehydration clause fight. He moves up in weight. And for whatever reason, the WBO, or sorry, WBA, assigns him a gold title belt for fighting at a catchweight against a guy who had just been brought up from 135 pounds, regardless of how you felt about the stoppage with Duarte, I thought it was a fine stoppage. Duarte complained. He felt that the referee stopped the fight prematurely. I thought Ryan Garcia was winning the fight. I thought Ryan Garcia was uh, pretty much getting away with doing whatever he wanted to do for the most part, including almost taking kind of a, an outside pivot to <laughs> to borrow a basketball footwork term and kind of completely turn his body to the right to protect what looked like, I guess he was protecting his right rib, the same side of the rib that he apparently was injured um, with, not just after the, or during the fight with Tank Davis, but going into the fight in preparation, in camp, in sparring, etc. Long story short, there's a lot of names at 140. Um... I don't put Ryan Garcia up there with them right now. I think he needs at least another fight to establish himself amongst the elite at 140. Devin Haney enters that elite conversation because guess what? Devin Haney 
was undisputed at 135, right? Tank Davis wasn't undisputed at 135. Tank Davis never held a real belt at 135. Tank Davis was fighting cherry-picked opponents at 135. Devin Haney held all the belts at 135. Devin Haney went to Australia not once but twice. Devin Haney fought Vasil Lomachenko in his last fight at 135 pounds. And Devin Haney's moving up. Devin Haney is elite. Okay? Teofimo Lopez beat the aforementioned fighter from Scotland, Josh Taylor, to become, I guess, linear or lineal at 140. He's elite. Okay? Subrio Matias, though, with all due respect to Roley, uh, Subrio Matias, to me, Right now, you guys can disagree with me, but based on what he's been doing and the way he's been doing it, people may say I'm a prisoner of the moment. People may judge me for going on, quote, unquote, the eye test. Subrio Matias, until further notice to me, is the man at 140. And if you're wondering who I'm picking Saturday, I'll tell you right now, I'm picking Devin the Dream Haney to beat Rugaru Progre. And for me, it's all about the Zoria fight. And specifically, it's about really what I would have expected an elite fighter to do, which is to make the adjustments in a fight. Adjustments that really didn't come until way too late. Adjustments that I didn't think came in time. And adjustments that I didn't actually think got Rugaru the win. I, I actually scored that fight for Zoria. And here's the thing, you know, they oftentimes counsel uh, Southpaw fighters, right, to uh, essentially move uh, to uh, the the non-dominant hand of the Southpaw, right? So when an Orthodox fighter is lined up in front of a Southpaw, right, the Orthodox fighter is oftentimes told to really avoid the south the orthodox sorry the southpaw fighters told to avoid the orthodox fighters essentially right hand but here's the thing when the southpaw fighter is or sorry the orthodox fighter let me get this clear in zoria is using a jab and constantly moving to his left you're going to have to make an adjustment and regis in that fight was just missing with his right jab nonstop because he was essentially moving in the wrong direction for like most of the fight. So I don't know if you guys saw this in the face-off, but Devin Haney said, look, you're, you're a guy, you're a basic fighter that essentially does the same thing over and over again that continues to do the same thing. I think personally that that's what he was referring to, right? It doesn't matter if Zoria is moving left after he throws his jab. You're going to continue moving in the opposite direction and missing by a meter, a meter and a half, sometimes two meters with your right jab. It really wasn't working out. Every single fight I have seen with Subriel Matias, I think he gets bigger. I think he gets better. I think he's imposing himself more. And you just see him breaking guys down. And here's the question. Who amongst these guys is going to step up and try to take on Subriel Matias for his IBF title belt? Right? Is it Teofimo? I don't think so. It's definitely not a guy who held the Reggie belt at 140. I have he him here in the thumbnail. I'm talking about T 
Tank Davis, right? He seems to be content in being a 135-pound Reggie belt holder, taking on the likes of Isaac Pitbull Cruz and a weight-drained Ryan, who he constrains with a rehydration clause, not to mention, of course, guys like Hector Garcia, who we just saw lose his 130-pound uh, championship belt a couple weeks back on the Boo Boo Andrade David Benavidez undercard. So this weekend, we have another piece of the puzzle that needs to get sorted out. And we're talking about Regis against Haney. I think for the reasons that I've mentioned, the Zoria fight specifically, I'm picking Haney. I've seen Haney make adjustments. And unfortunately, I didn't see Regis make those adjustments, really basic adjustments too, in the last fight. Um, adjustments that he needed to make just to land his right jab, I didn't see him making them in that fight. Uh, I saw him repeatedly missing the jab. And by the way, everything that was done effectively by Zoria, I think can be done even more effectively by Devin Haney. And I'm talking about jabbing and moving. Devin Haney's got one of the best up jabs in the game. He's a great up jabber. He can jab with a conventional jab as well, but his up jab is very good. He throws it from down below. Difficult to time, difficult to read, difficult to counter. Um, but let me know what you guys think. I think that right now 140 is one of the hottest divisions in boxing. I think that the names in the division can lead to some really super mega fights. We're talking about Ryan Garcia, if he improves a little bit and gets a signature win, maybe even gets a title belt off of a Roley. We're talking, of course, about Devin Haney, potentially Regis. If Regis beats Devin Haney, I'm I'm pretty sure that Josh Taylor has spoken about staying at 140 if he can get himself back together because he was coming off of a long layoff too when he got beat by Teo. Teo Fimo's in the division, obviously. And of course, we've got Subriel Matias. So that that's what I think right now. That's what I think about the Ryan fight. Uh, I would have liked to see him using his jab a lot more. Um, personally, I didn't wasn't a big fan of the total pivot to the right to kind of protect that right uh, flank of his, but it is what it is. Other announcement, if you don't know, now you know. Punchlines is on Twitter. Punchlines is on Facebook, in addition to being on YouTube. Ever since I was shut off of YouTube for other you know reasons, nothing to do with boxing, um, I've decided to start streaming in other areas as well. So check the link. It's in the chat for Facebook, and we're on Twitter right now, getting people watching me on Twitter, which I appreciate. This is Punchlines. Let's go. Gorilla than the planet of the apes. I ride a punchline and plant it on your face. Eat a punch that you ain't even got a taste. Here's a shot that you ain't even got a chase. So I'm going to go through some of the chats, answer any questions that have popped up, and then I'm going to get into something that I thought was pretty interesting in a moment. Pugilism says, Subriel Matias, or Sistema Tias, El Sistema venció a todos. Hay que tener cojones para luchar y vencer al sistema. Todos luchan. Luchando contra el sistema, pero no Subriel. Subriel es el sistema. What I'm going to say about this, and I agreed with another uh, thing pugil pugilism said, that he's one of the only fighters to unite uh, PR 
Puerto Rico and Mexico in boxing history. It's very interesting. He actually trains with a Mexican trainer who's, I believe, also assisted by a Cuban trainer uh, in Estado de Mexico, just outside or a little bit outside of Mexico City, El Distrito Federal in Mexico. So he lives in Mexico. He trains in Mexico. He's coached by a Mexican and by a Cuban in Mexico. Um, crazy, man. Um, it's not something that you often see. I love it. You know, it's interesting because I'm not a big fan of, like, nationalism in boxing. You know, I get it in the Olympics. You're representing your country. You're representing them as an amateur. But it's very it's very interesting to me the way professional fighting is promoted in the United States along ethnic lines. And um, it, it, it's obviously very good for the most part for um, Mexican fighters because you have a, a market. Um it's also good for Chicano fighters because there's a market. Uh, I'm oftentimes a little bit, I'll just be honest, uh, confused when I see people wearing the Mexican and the U.S. flag on their trunks, mostly because half of Mexican territory was stolen by the United States. Literally everything from Texas to California up to Oregon, over east to Colorado, and everything down. But I get it. I mean... You want to represent both countries. Um, okay, you know, it is what it is. A little bit confusing in my opinion, but that's just me. Uh, salute Ronald, salute Ahmed, um, salute Carlitos Way, and uh, salute Chauncey Pearls. So there we go. Uh, Carlitos Way says, I want Regis to win. Matias versus Progre would be sick. I agree with that 100%. I agree with that 100%. Chauncey Pearls, I agree with you on this too. Man, that roster at 140 is so fire. A tournament with all those guys in the screen would be gold. Absolutely. I mean, look at the names here, right? We got Matias. We've got Javante Tank Davis. He held a title belt at 140. Granted, it was a Reggie belt. We got Teofimo Lopez. We've got, um, you know, Devin Haney, obviously. And there's people that aren't even in this picture. Right, like Roley, who's got a belt for instance. I'd love to see all of these guys mixing it up in the ring. So, those of you who follow me know that I'm a big fan of Pro Box TV. I like their shows, Deep Waters. I like their show, Sparring Sessions. They have good uh, breakdowns, good insights. And anytime you get Paulie Malignaggi talking about Canelo or Haney, um, it's always pure gold. It's always entertainment. I don't know. He's been accused of being a hater of both of these fighters. Uh, I think his criticisms of Haney are actually probably even more harsh than his criticisms of Canelo. But let's have a look. Let's have a listen to Paulie talking about this upcoming fight this weekend. I thought it was pretty interesting. I felt he did his best job to be as fair as he could here to Haney. Um, you know, fair in, in for Paulie, that is, anyways. But uh, let's have a look. Let's have a listen. Let's go. Yeah, I, I, it's uh, it's there's a lot to touch on here. Um, first of all, I'll go with the uh, the, the zone mentality of uh, putting Haney's name first. I'm sometimes I feel like am, am I viewing this all wrong? I do see Haney as a as a talented guy. You know, I do see Haney as a guy who you know has some skills and can box rather well. But I. I when everybody starts to push this whole star power thing, I, I, I'm not seeing it, man. I mean, I, it's, I, I think he's a good fighter. 
Um, he doesn't sell. He didn't sell a lot of pay-per-views, even against the best, the most name recognizable opponent of his of his career against, uh, which was a Lomachenko fight. Um, I don't understand really um, what the rush is in trying to say that he's a star. Uh, he's not a big puncher. He's not an explosive personality. He's not like uh, you know the 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 pretty boy looks like a Ryan Garcia, for example. I don't understand this uh, this extreme push for the marketing ploy here. So I'm going to stop it right there and chime in. Number one, using pay-per-views to establish who is relevant and who is a star in boxing is always going to be problematic, and I'll tell you why. There's only a couple people in boxing, literally a couple, that do huge numbers on pay-per-view. Uh, one of them is Canelo Alvarez, right? And the second, depending on who the person is fighting, um. You know, you could make a case for Tank Davis against Ryan, but other than Ryan, I mean, it's, it's not like he's done huge numbers. You can make a case for AJ, right? Uh, you could make a case potentially for Errol Spence Jr., right? But even Errol Spence, it's not like we're talking about million dollar or a million pay-per-view buys. But here's the thing about Haney. Haney, I was at the fight against... Uh, Lomachenko, it was like 17,000 people. There was a sellout with, with people lining up throughout the MGM Grand just to get into the Grand Garden Arena. I was there. I recorded it. I was meeting with other fans. I was a credentialed member of the media. I was, I was there, right? I'm sorry, but selling out an arena is star-making, right? Um, prior to fighting against Lomachenko, he had two huge attendance gates in Australia against uh, Gambosis. So we're talking about back-to-back-to-back, last three fights either being an arena fight or a stadium fight. Not a lot of people in boxing have done that in the last two years. Like, So is he a huge pay-per-view star? No. But he's also a Gen Z. Gen Z's don't buy pay-per-views. Gen Z's stream. Gen Z's are cord cutters even more than... No, see, millennials, we were the cord cutters. The Gen Z, they have never even have a cord. They don't know what the the hell a cord is. They don't know what cable is. (laughs) So, I mean, again, you want to use pay-per-views as your metrics. Yeah, most people won't be, quote-unquote, big stars. But if you look at it in terms of tickets sold and engagements on social media, I think it's fair to say that, like, Devin Haney is one of the young stars in the sport, just in my opinion. Let's continue. Um, I mean, there's, listen, I'll be honest with you. The zone is, 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 is I've, I've already shown that business-wise, they're about as, as, as dumb as a box of rocks. I mean, they've constantly lost money. So, I mean, they, not, it doesn't shock me that they would try to force a round peg into a square hole. But at the same time, and this is not a knock on Amy's boxing ability. I think he's a good boxer in an overall exciting weight class. He doesn't stand out to me like, oh, this guy is a guy who, among all these great fighters, among all these really good, among this really fun weight class, this guy stands out as something extra special. Dude, I don't see him. I don't know. I, I just don't, man. I, I th- and, and again, I think he's a good fighter. I, I think he can box. I just, I just don't see any separation from everybody else. I, I don't see this. I- so I saw separation. Right, Dave, Devin Haney comprehensively outboxed Cambosis twice. Memory serves me well. Paulie picked Cambosis. 
Haney defeated Lomachenko. Memory serves me well. Paulie said that that was the white guy that Haney wouldn't fight and would avoid fighting. Then he ends up fighting him in a sellout crowd at MGM Grand and beats him. All right. Uh, not to mention the fact that the guy that he beat twice in Australia is the guy that beat Te uh, Teofimo Lopez in New York City, you know, in a fight that I was live in attendance at. And very few people were picking Gambosis then, but he did what he did to, to Teofimo Lopez. And then Devin Haney did what he did to Gambosis not once but twice. So, yeah, he kind of has separated himself a little bit again just in my opinion i'm not here trying to dog paulie i actually like paulie a lot i wish paulie was still on tv paulie is actually one of my favorite uh guys talk that talk boxing paulie barry jones carl frampton andre ward believe it or not I, I like timothy bradley you know believe it or not i like lennox lewis people made fun of me a lot for that one especially kenny when we were doing Manu a Manu, he didn't think that Lennox Lewis was very good as a commentator. But, you know, I'm a huge Lennox Lewis fan, so I'm just going to throw him in there. But definitely Paulie, Barry Jones, Carl Frampton. I, I, I'm a big fan of those guys. Andre Ward uh, as well. And believe it or not, another big one I'm a fan of is the Magic Man, the other Magic Man, Antonio Tarver. Very good, too. But let's continue. And like I said, usually the intangibles that you need, like a big personality or, or big punching power or... Or, or, or one of those things, like, or, or being like, a, and again, the model looks like Ryan Garcia. He doesn't have any of those either. So I, I'm struggling to see why the push, why the disrespect for. He beat Loma. He beat Gambosis twice in Australia. And I actually think that he actually is pretty charismatic and entertaining. I enjoyed the face-off. I'm going to show clips of that in a moment, but I enjoyed the face-off. Right. I, I enjoy the interviews that he's done. I enjoyed the back and forth between him and Regis's uh, strength and conditioning guy at the press conference. I thought all of that shit was entertaining. Personally, hit the like button. If you're new to the channel, hit the subscribe button. It's just punchlines. Let's go. For Progray of, of the promotional banner saying, oh, Haney versus Progress or Progray versus Haney. This is not. Floyd Mayweather post Oscar de la Hoya, where Mayweather was doing this post Oscar de la Hoya. This is not Canelo, where again they can fight the doorknob on the door over here and they can get a million pay per view buys. You know what I'm saying? It's not. It, this is not that kind of thing. And even then, I always had a problem with it, but I, I kind of at least at least there's a reasoning. It is this kind of thing. This is exactly the kind of thing that it is. Look, do you guys remember Regis's last fight against Zoria? By the way, I thought Zoria beat Regis. Was it ugly? Absolutely. Do I think he won the fight? Yeah, by a round or two. But in terms of star power and who's the A side and who's the B side here, did you guys see the, the crowd at the Smoothie King Arena in New Orleans? Guys, it looked like there was like 2,000 people there. They tarped the upper deck and half of the lower bowl at that fight. And I'm sure a lot of those tickets were comped. So let's not come out here and act like Devin Haney's not bringing something to the table. He was undisputed at 135, for God's sakes. He held all the belts, beat Gambosis twice in Australia, beat Loma at a sellout crowd at the MGM Grand earlier this year. I mean, the idea that somehow Regis and him are like, oh, 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 
No, not at all. He's leaps and bounds ahead of Regis in terms of his status in the sport at this moment in time. Devin Haney was undisputed. Devin Haney beat Gambosis twice in Australia. Devin Haney faced off against Lomachenko, something that Tank Davis refused to do. By the way, Tank Davis also refused to fight uh, uh, um, George Gambosis in Australia because that was the other fight that the Gambosis people wanted. I was talking to George, uh, or sorry, Jim, his uh, George, uh, George's father. They wanted Loma. They wanted Tank. Devin Haney came in because those two guys wouldn't or couldn't take the fight in Australia. Let's continue. You say, Paul, you know, there's a lot of money. You know, the guy's worth so much money. You know, he generates a lot of money. You kind of have to understand it, even if you don't agree with it. And I didn't agree with it then, but I understood it. This right here, I don't agree with. Yeah. Just like I don't understand how, how the zone can constantly influx money into a channel that constantly loses money, and, and they still influx money somehow. I don't know where they get it out of the sky. I don't get that either. But especially this particular situation is a microcosm of the whole, of the whole business model. What are you doing? What, what, what is this? What, what, exactly what is this? You know? So now let's go forward with the boxing again. I think Haney's actually a good. All right, let's stop. Let's stop it there. Cause I do want to agree with something Paul says, and it's the zone's business model. This fight shouldn't be on pay-per-view. This shouldn't be a pay-per-view fight. And to his point they're they're losing money by, by all accounts. And they're bleeding the U.S. consumer dry. They're charging us $220 plus U.S. dollars a year. And on top of that, upselling us for the biggest fights that they put on their calendar, including Regis Progre versus Devin Haney, which is, of course, on pay-per-view. I don't agree with that. I don't like it. I don't understand the business model. So in terms of that, I'm in 100% agreement with Paulie Malignaggi. Here we go. Boxer, solid boxer. I think he's talented. I think it's a good fight. And I think styles make fights. And for that reason, I think Haney's ability to control range a little bit better uh, than Progray gives him a slight advantage here. Now, are we writing? I sometimes wonder, are we writing off Progray? He's only got one loss, and that's to Josh Taylor, who at the time was on a roll. You know, but... Um, or is Progray's kryptonite this this ability or this inability to, to close range in a deceptive enough way to catch a guy like Haney, right? Because in order to close range against a guy like Haney, who's very good at controlling range, you've got to be deceptive enough. You've got to have a, a lot of trickery to you. Otherwise, you're going to be walking into his shot. Well, you also got to be able to move in more than one direction, which is what he was essentially doing all night long against Zoria, which is why he was missing his jab. Go back and watch the fight. Go back and watch the fight. It was embarrassing the distance at which he was missing with his right jab because he consistently kept moving only in one direction, regardless of where Zoria was moving after he was throwing his jab. So I'm going to leave it at that. Look, I'm excited about this fight. I'm going to be watching the fight. Uh, I hear somebody here saying that they're going to watch the fight in the casino. Uh, I'm in New York City. There's not that many good casinos over here. So options are limited for that one. It's not like you can go out to your local sports bar and watch a fight like this there. So options are limited. But am I happy about the upsell that the zone is forcing upon U.S. fight fans? Absolutely not. For our $225 a year, we should be getting this fight included. We shouldn't be having to pay extra money on top of it to stream the fight legally which is why so many people 
return to the illegal stream. So let's set it up. All right, I'm going to end on this. If you want to join me in talk boxing, uh, feel free to click the link. It is in there to join me. But I'll be honest, I'm going to run through these matchups one at a time, and I'm going to tell you where I land. Zubadel Matias, I think he beats Tank Davis. Too big, too strong, throws too many punches, has a, a good enough chin, and can take a shot to the head and to the body, as we've seen on multiple times, multiple occasions. Uh, so that one's there. Regis Progre, uh, that one is actually going to be a trench warfare type of fight should they ever meet. I see them kind of locking horns like two rams going at it in the center of the ring. And I see Subriel Matias winning that war of attrition. Devin Haney against Matias, believe it or not, despite all of the accolades and things I said about Haney just now, I don't see him standing in there with with uh, Zubriel Matias for the full 12 rounds. And believe it or not, the guy who I think is the best shot of beating Zubriel Matias here on this list, but, you know, he's got to come in with the right mindset. He's got to come in with the right physical and mental preparation. He's got to come in prepared for the fight using his outside fighting style uh, his ability to throw a very effective jab to the head and the body and to move and to pot shot and to move. I think Teofimo Lopez uh, probably has the best shot here of the four guys here. Notice I'm not including Roley. I'm not including uh, Ryan Garcia. I think Subriel really hurt, puts a hurting on those guys badly, actually. So the best shot are the two guys at the, at the low side of the screen, Haney and... Um, Haney and uh, Teofimo, uh, you know, Haney has shown himself to be a little bit shaky at times. Obviously, the Linares fight will be brought up in terms of that. Um, but Haney and, and Teofimo, I think, have the best shots at beating Subriel. But I still favor Subriel over both of them. Let me know what you guys think in the chat. To me, Subriel Matias is the man at 140 pounds. He's got one loss. But you know what I love about guys that face losses is how they come back, when they come back, what they do when they come back. He's from the Lennox Lewis school. You take a loss against somebody, you come back, and you win by stoppage. That's what Lennox Lewis did every single time for every one of his, well, there's only two losses, his, his two losses, and obviously a controversial draw against Holyfield. Carlitos West says, Roley is uh, trash. I actually think Roley is a big overachiever. Roley is essentially a novice boxer that got himself up to fighting for interim and world title belts. He, he's he's overachieving. He, like, me as a teacher, like that's the guy I give the most improved student award to. You know, he's not making the honor roll. He's not a straight-A student. But from where he started to where he is now, I mean, I, I do have to give a certain level of respect uh, to Roley um, for that. For that, Pugilism says, ultimately, win or lose, we want to see the all-go IBF 140 and swim deep waters. It's guaranteed deep waters every time out. Either sit on the stool for the payday or stand and fight back. Uh, very well said, Pugilism. And Carlito's way, Subriel is the man. I agree. Subriel is the man. 
Um, you you got no disagreements from me there at all. So uh, one other thing I was going to show over here um, that I thought was very entertaining was uh, this situation. Let me see if I have it loaded up here. I thought I had it loaded up. But um, the trainer, uh, the not the trainer, the strength and conditioning coach um, back and forth with Bill Haney, um, Devin Haney's father. Uh, this strength and conditioning guy, I've never heard of him before this this fight, but he's really interjected himself into the promotion here. I'll probably do a separate upload on that um, and and get back uh, get back at that another time. But for now, I want to thank everybody who's tuned in tonight. I really appreciate it. Again, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button. These videos go members only as soon as I uh, shut down my lives and I'll post a couple clips from them. And that will be that. So always try to catch my lives Wednesday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern. I go live. So uh, tune in. Oh, we got somebody joining in to stay here for a little bit longer. My man Nacho's here. Nacho, what's going on, brother? Hey, what's going on, Maestro? Not much. Um, so I saw that you were talking about uh, Devin Haney's or just progress strength and conditioning coach. That whole thing has been comedy. I don't know if you yeah. follow either one of them on Twitter. They've just been going back and forth with the insults, and it's hilarious. Like the stuff they've been saying uh, to each other is just kind of comical. I mean, I wish there was a a way of actually showing the pain public that just to see if it would create even more interest. But I mean, unless you follow Twitter, you're not going to know what's going on. Let me, these let me guys. ask who I've been off of Twitter these days. The only thing I do with Twitter is stream my shows. Um, I should probably get a separate account that I'll use to like engage more, but who has been going back and forth? Is it Haney or Haney's father? Um, From what I've seen, it usually is Haney responding to the, uh, strength and conditioning coach for Pro Gray. It's not his father responding. Yeah, I don't know if I like that. Like, he should be locked in. He should be focused on the fight. I I understand why the strength and conditioning guy is doing it. And yeah. it's interesting to me that Regis isn't pro participating because he's obviously preparing for what's the biggest well, fight in his career, right? Oh, for sure. Um, But I don't know if you saw what uh, Steve Kim posted about Prograde, the the videos of him at the open workout um yeah he's laser focused on the fight like he's taking everything that's been going on personal like he seems really like locked in on trying to beat Haney down for what he's been saying about him so um you know he, he he's got a chip on his shoulder for sure mm. Mm. well I think it's gonna be a very good fight uh, I'm excited about the fight. I'm just not excited about it being on pay-per-view. I don't like upsells, especially when I'm paying $225 a year already for zone. Are you a zone subscriber? I I was a full-time uh, subscriber, but I've actually switched from month to month. Like, mm -hmm. I just buy it whenever I see fights that I like, that I want to see. Then I purchase it for the month, and then and then I, like, let it go, and then if I see another month of fights that I want to see, then I'll buy it again. Like, this month I bought it because I know they're going to have the the card on the 23rd, and then they were going to have the uh, Bam and Sunny next week, mm. and then they are going to have this one. So, 
yeah, I purchased it for this one. So, but yeah, you're right though. The fact that you, even if you have the membership, you still have to pay sixty bucks as a member okay. to watch this. Like that's insulting. Like that that's not fair to people who are subscribed that you have to pay another fee just to be able to watch this fight. No, I agree a hundred percent. Now let me ask you something, Nacho. When you buy the month, do you wait until the day of the fight to initiate the start of the month, or are you doing it like let's say December first? How do you go about buying your month to month? Usually I will buy it like the week of whenever the fight that I want to see is going to be happening. So like for Haney program, I just bought it a couple of days ago on the 4th. Mm. So I'll have it till January 4th. All right. So that will go December 4th until January 4th. Yeah. You know that there's a fight in December though, right? With uh, Virgil Ortiz. I don't think that would be covered though, would it? Oh yeah. The one on uh, the 6th, but then the rest of that month is kind of, dry and then until they just announced uh Mungia Ryder is going to be on the 27th of January. You see so that I would have waited until until Saturday to buy the one month cuz then you would have had the Virgil Ortiz fight as well. Right? Uh, that's true. Yeah, but but to be honest Maestro mm. Frederick Lawson doesn't really move me as far as an opponent. <laughs> like I think that's about as of a soft touch as you can get. Yeah. So I expect Virgil to to do his thing, you know. So if anything, I'm more interested in the Mungia Ryder fight. That's the one that I'm. That's a good. In. That's a good fight. I don't. I honestly don't understand the people that are shitting on that fight. I think that's a pretty good fight. I agree. I think that at this point, to me, this is the make or break fight for Jaime. If you cannot beat a guy like Ryder, then you don't belong as an elite super middleweight at this point, because. There are no other guys that he legitimately could fight that can make the case that are better than Ryder. The only ones who can make the case are Canelo, Benavides, and maybe uh maybe Caleb Plant. Maybe yeah, maybe Caleb Plant. That's or, it. Or 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 uh David Morell Jr. <laughs> there you go, and and Morell. But Morell's yeah. got his own stay busy fight next weekend against yeah, Beko. Beko. yeah, that's yeah. a good one. So, you know what I'm saying? So it's like all the guys are pretty much lined up for their own fights. So mm -hmm. he couldn't really uh, pursue any of them for a fight. So, hey, why not take on another guy in the top 10 and, and stay busy and, and work on your your craft? And I'm also curious to see what Freddie Roach is going to implement in his game because now that he's with Freddie Roach, I'm sure they're going to try to work on cleaning up all those mistakes of his that, he tends to make when he's in, uh, you know, fights um, with, you know, uh, elite or not elite, but really good competition. Well, I was actually very impressed with the way he came back in a Sergey Devranchenko fight, to be honest. Uh, he needed at least a knockdown in the last round and he got it. You yeah. Know? Um, he showed a lot of grit uh, in that and a lot of heart in that. Now, what oh, was yeah, that's, that's never been his problem. It's always been. Yeah. His technical deficiencies that bother me, you know. Right, Those and did you see a progression on the El Terrible when he was coaching him? At first, I did, Maestro. And then I it was a plateau, was... right? Because I saw, yeah, as well. I thought he he was implementing a little more head movement. He was doing a good job of using the jab. As I was a just about to say, range finder. He mm -hmm. was moving his feet a little better. Like he wasn't just plotting and he was kind of moving side to side 
And, you know, there was little tweaks that I thought uh, Morales implemented that he did a good job. The problem was, was that I kept hearing stories about how supposedly Morales wasn't really full time in his camp mm. and that other people were in Munguia's ear about Morales not being there. So I think Morales just got kind of fed up with these other people and he just said, screw it. I'm out. Like, I don't need to be dealing with this. Yeah, I mean, he's a Hall of Famer. He's a legend, you know. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, sure he's, I'm sure he's made his investments in Mexico. He's got his podcast yeah. going. I mean, he's he's set for life over there. Exactly, he's uh, good financially. He doesn't need the headaches. No, absolutely. So, what state are you located in, Ignacio? I'm in I'm in California. All right, California. So, California was the site once of a Deontay Wilder fight one of the more famous Deontay Wilder fights. The fight, obviously, the first one against none other than the Gypsy King Tyson Fury. Deontay said, and this was reporting in Boxing Scene today, that his contract with Saudi Arabia is for the next few fights. This is according to Sean Nam with uh, Boxing Scene. Does it bother you at all that you might it, we might not see Wilder fight in the United States uh, anytime in the foreseeable future? Not necessarily, only because of the fact that if that's where it's going to, uh, if that's what's going to be needed for him to fight guys that we've all wanted to see him fight, I don't necessarily have a problem with it. If he's going to fight Joseph Parker, which he is, and then if he happens to win that fight, there's a good possibility he fights Anthony Joshua. Mm. I mean, there's really no other place that you could legitimately do it where he's not going to complain. Like he was never going to get home canvas advantage against Joshua. And he was never going to go to the UK to fight Joshua in his own backyard. So if we have to do it in a neutral territory, like Saudi Arabia for him to get in the ring, I don't have a problem with it. Other world champions have traveled to other parts of the world to defend their title. I, I don't see why Deontay Wilder can't be a guy who, who travels to, to fight the best fighters. I agree. And how do you see the fight with Parker going? I mean, honestly, I'm in the minority maestro, but I'm picking the upset. I think Parker is going to win that fight, to be honest with you. I just think with him being more active and facing live bullets over the last year versus a guy who legitimately has not faced any live competition except for one round in two years, I I'm sorry. I'm just not buying that he's going to be ready for live bullets again after sitting out that long. Um, I agree. I don't, care, I don't care how I'm much a, I'm actually with you. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, then you, you've you joined the minority. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. A I'm, lot a of minority. People who think I'm not a, a big fan of inactivity, to be honest. And honestly, Joseph Parker has always showed a pretty sturdy chin and, you know, relatively high uh, IQ of, of boxing. Like, he did get out-muscled, essentially, against the juggernaut. And stopped, but you know, he's had a good run recently and he's been far more active than Deontay Wilder. I just don't believe in this idea that Deontay's just gonna show up and do to Joseph Parker what he did to Robert Alanius. I just don't see it. Nando, uh, yeah. sorry, uh, Nacho, yeah, no, I agree, I completely agree because Parker's gonna be ready for that right hand, and then Andy Lee is gonna probably get a game plan set up that. You know, they're going to box and, and they're going to make Wilder get frustrated 
and they're going to try to have Wilder walk into something that he doesn't see coming. You know, I just, I think they have a game plan for him because I, I just feel like Parker knows that Wilder isn't the same Wilder that he was before the Fury fights. And I think he knows that he can take this version of Wilder that we have now. Yeah, I, I agree. And the other thing, too, that people oftentimes ignore is the fact that Wilder has been constantly outboxed before kind of getting bailed out by his right hand. I mean, he was losing comprehensively, in my eyes anyways, against Luis Ortiz both times. Uh, Arthur Spielka was outboxing him before he got brutally knocked out. I personally don't see Joseph Parker getting knocked out like that. I just don't see it. I don't see him getting face-planted like Arthur Spielka or getting stopped the way Luis Ortiz was on those two occasions. And I definitely don't see him going down from a palm strike going backwards the way that Robert Hellenius was, in my humble opinion. Yeah, I mean, if you can take punishment from Joe Joyce and stand up to that guy for as long as he did, I just don't buy that one wilder right hand all of a sudden is just going to put his lights out. You know, I think he's going to he's going to eventually get hit with it. But I think he, he's going to be able to be smart enough to roll and slip a lot of those shots that Wilder's going to want to throw because Wilder has a horrible habit of not using his jab in order to set up that right hand. He just kind of unleashes that right hand from a distance and you can see it coming. So I think Parker's going to be ready for that right hand, and I think he's going to want to counter. As soon as he slips that right hand, he's going to start countering and, and going after uh, Wilder. And the thing with Wilder, the biggest problem he's always had is when he faces a guy that's heavier than him, he can't just bully guys, you know? And Parker's going to definitely be heavier. Parker's going to be in the 240s or maybe even the low 250s. So he's not going to be bullied by Wilder who's probably going to come in at maybe 220. Well, the thing is, the bigger Wilder gets, the more he gasses out, too. I don't know if you've noticed that. but Yeah, he does. He struggles with it when he packs on weight, and he usually, when he does put on weight, he puts it all up on the upper body, you know? Yeah, because those... Doesn't those, help uh, with his speed and his, his quick twitch, you know, reaction time and reflexes. Yeah, it's crazy how his legs are like toothpicks, and he never can add weight on his lower body <laughs> yeah he's so, like that character from from uh the warner brothers remember the chicken hawk oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah for sure yeah i mean oh. you know yeah but yeah i that's just me i think parker's ready to, to to pull it off to to be honest i would be very surprised if parker didn't win that fight talk to me lastly about uh what might be the main event i don't know if they decided that yet but joshua versus otto Wally. Hmm. I've been kind of going back and forth a little bit on that one because of the fact that uh, Waleen is a mover and a stick, stick and move dude. And Wilder, I mean, I'm sorry. And Joshua tends to have problems with guys who are movers. He likes guys who are more standstill and they don't give him a lot of angles and a lot of side to side movement. Uh, if Waleen is in legitimate shape, which I think he will be because he just fought a few months ago, um, I think he's going to trouble Joshua. The biggest thing with Joshua is, has Derek James taught him enough as far as being able to shorten the distance between him and Waleen in order for him to be able to land 
cleanly and often? And also, can he cut the ring off and force Wallin to fight his fight? Because if Wallin is just allowed to just stick and move and and go wherever he wants, uh, Joshua is going to lose that fight. But if he can somehow manage to cut the distance off, get to Wallin, hit him, hurt him, and then make it an inside shorter fight, then Joshua should win. But I'm still torn. I, I'm kind of leaning more towards uh, Waleen possibly. Oh, my. That fight. I'm leaning towards Waleen, and I'll tell you why. Uh, you know, I spoke about inactivity with regard to the last fight. With this fight, Joshua hasn't been as inactive as, you know, Wilder, of course. But I like good activity. You know, it's qualitative as well as quantitative. I'm sorry. He did not look very good against Jermaine Franklin. And Jermaine Franklin, to call him a fringe contender, is being generous. Fight after that was against, you know, let's face it, a well-past-it, well-past-his-prime Robert Hellenius, who was coming off of a fight against literally a, a boxing novice and almost like an exhibition, and took the fight on short notice and still bloodied up and, and, and rocked AJ. You know, uh, AJ was leaking from his face in, in that fight. If Waleen can implement a lot of feints, box behind a good jab, kind of be a little bit tricky, a little bit herky-jerky, a lot of head movement, a lot of lateral movement, left and right, right to left, be dynamic in there. I see him causing a lot of problems for Joshua, and that's how I would be training him for this fight. A lot of feints, good jabs, you know, good foot movement, Lateral movement, constantly force Joshua to to reset, get him thinking. Because once you get Joshua thinking, that's really when Joshua starts to have problems. You saw it a lot against Usyk. He was like frozen in his thoughts. Um, you know, for this one, though, I'll tell you what. I'm going to save my official prediction until the weigh-in because I also want to see what kind of shape Waleen comes in. At because yeah. To do that well, you have to be in tremendous shape to pull to pull off the type of victory I'm talking about. Go for it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if he comes in under 235, he's got a hell of a shot to pull it off because usually he comes in a little bit heavier than that, and he's not in great shape. But if he's 235 or less, I think he has a legitimate shot to pull off the, the upset for sure. But I don't disagree with anything you said. I think I'm on the same boat as far as if he can faint, move, give him uh, trouble as far as being able to land, he's going to frustrate mm -hmm. Joshua, and then Joshua's going to not know what to do because the biggest thing with Joshua is that he has a plan A, but his plan B and C, he can never figure out a way to implement it when plan A doesn't work. It's your lack of ability to make the key adjustments in these fights. He couldn't make yeah. the adjustments against uh, Usyk, obviously. And to be honest, I also didn't really see him making – that many adjustments or effective adjustments against Jermaine Franklin, a guy who, quite frankly, he should have been able to stop. <laughs> I mean, they say he's trying to be a, what is it, a three-time world champion? He's already a six-time world champion because to me, you become a X-time world champion anytime you pick up a belt. If I win the WBA, then I lose the WBA, and then I pick up the IBF, I'm a two-time champion. He's held three titles, four if you could include the IBO, four, uh, two times. By that, by my math, he's already a six- to eight-time world champion. Anyways, I digress. It's just a little bit of a thing I have. 
Lastly, I know I said lastly before, it's a bad habit, Nacho, but I do want your opinion <laughs> on it because I think it's a pretty interesting fight, right? And it's the other fight on the card that I don't see as a one-way mismatch because with all due respect, I think Frank Sanchez is, is in a mismatch fight. I think that um, Arslan Beck is in a uh, mismatch fight. You know, um, I think Philip Hergovich is definitely in a mismatch fight. Oh, that's but, the worst fight on the card. They could have found Against Demori, they have found an older fighter than Mark Demori. Really, seriously. But the fight that I think is the oh, that's the wrong one. The fight that I think is the uh, that's also the wrong one. It's from the last card. My fault. Uh, this is it here. The fight that I think is the other 50 50 fight, specifically because he's coming off of a stoppage loss, is the Daniel Dubois fight. I'm actually very interested in that fight. I think it's going to be exciting for as long as it lasts uh and big baby does a lot of talking um let's hope he passes his tests but how do you how do you see that fight hmm <clears throat> well honestly I right can't now, pick it, but i think it's going to be exciting go yeah um honestly that fight right now i mean i really hate to say this but i think miller has yeah. the edge only because Dubois lost that fight against Usyk, and for the most part, he um, has not been on a very good winning streak lately. He's been beaten by Joyce, and then he got a very questionable win over Kevin Lerna, and um, I just feel like Miller right now, his confidence is is high because he's never lost and he's never been tested. Whereas Dubois' confidence is, I think, has to be gone because I don't think he believes in himself the way he did prior to the uh, Joyce fight when he was still undefeated. I think since that loss, he's kind of taken a hit as far as his confidence. And also, too, I, I just, the thing that bothers me about Dubois is that he has not ever been able to, um, fix his stamina issue problems because it always seems like the first five, six rounds, he's good. But then after that sixth round, he just seems to mentally or physically get tired. And it just seems like he, he just fades as the fight goes on. And I think Miller being who he is, I think he's going to try to rough him up and he's going to try to, you know, um, try to make him um, gas out quickly and I wouldn't be surprised if Miller won that fight. To be honest, I feel like Dubois is at a crossroads. If you cannot beat a guy like Jarrell Miller, then you shouldn't really be considered a legitimate contender. At that point, you're just going to become a stepping stone, which is sad for him because he's not even that old. But he's mid twenty. Yeah, I mean, he's like 25 or 26. Yeah, but if, if he loses that fight, it's a tough road back for him. I think if he can't win that fight, then man, that's a long road back for Dubois. Yeah, I agree with you. And in fact, I was actually shocked that they decided to pair him up against Darrell Miller in his first fight coming off of a loss. Because in addition to the fact that Darrell Miller is a big dude, obviously in excess of 300 pounds, he's the type of guy who with his words, will have you start to question yourself. Like, he mm -hmm. gets up and he 
people's skin. Like, look how we got on the AJ skin at the press conference. That was yeah, actually I, to me to watch. I mean, that's not the kind of guy you face off against when your confidence is in tatters and you're coming off of a knockout loss in the biggest fight of your career. Am I, am I off for saying that? No, I think you're spot on. I, I honestly... I don't understand what Frank Warren and Dubois' team were thinking taking this fight. I mean, the only thing I can think of is that maybe they think Miller, having not fought a whole lot in the last few years, they feel maybe they can catch him like a step or two behind where he was when he was active. But I just think that Miller kind of knows that he's on borrowed time as well. If he ever wants to get the big paydays against Usyk's, the Joshua's, and those guys, he's going to have to beat this dude. And I just don't think he's going to show up not ready for this fight. I think he's going to do everything he can to be ready for this fight. And, and Miller is a weird heavyweight maestro because Miller's one of the few guys, like, when he was active that I saw, like, he would always show up in the 290s or low 300s. But when you would see him fight, he wasn't a guy who was throwing, like, 25, 30 punches around. He was throwing... 55, 60, 70 punches around. So for a big yeah, for a big big guy at that at that weight for him to be that active, that's not very often you see that. And I just don't think that he's gonna the weight shouldn't really factor into it. I think if he comes in decent shape, like two ninety or so, he's gonna be fine. I hope that Dubois is not banking on him being out of shape and fat, thinking that he's just going to stroll in there and beat him. I agree. And it's interesting because if you look at old footage of Jarrell Miller when he was kickboxing and even when he first started boxing, he was big, but he wasn't like, you know, obese butter bean levels big. You know? No, he's solid. He's a solid guy. Like, he doesn't have a huge belly. He doesn't have a huge, like, he doesn't have, like, man boobs. He doesn't have any of that. Like, he's a solidly built guy. Like, if he got under... Probably 270, he would look like a ball of muscle. But because yeah. he doesn't ever go under that, you just think he's fat and out of shape. Yeah, well, it's going to be interesting because EPO obviously is a performance enhancer that does help you with, you know, recovery with cardio, um, with, you know, oxygen uh, to, to your muscles. So, you know, he did test positive for that. It's going to be interesting to see how he does with stringent drug testing, because apparently Vada is testing these fighters on this card. But um, we'll leave it at that, Ignacio. Thank you so much for yeah. joining me, brother. It's always such a pleasure. Yeah, thanks. On the sport. Yeah, I know. I hadn't I had on your show in a while, so I figured I'd jump on really quick. <laughs> Wednesdays, that's when I'm going to be doing it consistently, and I'm going to aim for Saturdays as well. It's very difficult for me right now to commit to more than that because of my work commitments. And oh, my okay. Well, well those are the sure days. Then I, will be, I will definitely be trying to reach out more, especially if you're on Saturdays. Absolutely. I'm going to try to do stuff yeah. with uh, my brother, Joe Habib. I'm going to get back to my teachers talking boxing with Ludo and Smallsy, but Saturday mornings as well. So thank you so much, Ignacio. All right. Not thanks. All yeah. I really appreciate it, brother. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. So that was the one and only Nacho. I really appreciate Nacho for coming in.
And uh, just on the way out, do me a favor, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button if you're new to the channel. And don't forget that these go to members only after I go live. You can always catch the audio on all audio platforms, be they Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else. Once again, this is Punchlines, and I'll see you guys on the next one. Gorilla than the planet of the apes. I ride a punchline and plan it on your face. Eat a punch that you ain't even got a case. Here's a shot that you ain't even got a chase.